When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. It's Nathan Barron. That's Andrew Gillis. And this is day two of your Buckeye Talk first attempt at projecting the Ohio State 2024 starting lineup. The depth chart, the too deep, it's, which really just evolves into a conversation about us trying to figure out how things might look in 2024 because it would be boring if we just went, listed off a bunch of names and then said, and that was Buckeye talk. That's not how we do things here. We take these small ideas and we make them big conversations. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a commercial that we need to probably shoot at some point. But Nathan, once again, he put the – we're doing offense today, and if you go check out cleveland.com slash OSU, you can find his offensive projection, some of which on the defensive projection, I don't think we did a lot of disagreeing. I think there might be a little bit of some disagreements here when we get into some of these position groups, but we're going to start with quarterback because that's the most important group. Nathan, you had Will Howard as your starter and Devin Brown as your two. I don't Was that simple, easy, quick and dirty? In some ways, putting Will Howard as the starter is – Easy. I don't think they've guaranteed him anything yet, but you just look at it in terms of experience and in terms of, you know, being demonstrably going out and leading a team to wins. He is, he has done that. And I think that's going to probably matter when it comes to this competition that's about to unfold. I think it probably will matter in terms of um, just how he approaches and, and how comfortable he is in a thing like the, 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 the competition that will come this spring. And I think anybody on paper would have to say he is still the front runner, even though he has no incumbency here. And even though his, you know, his numbers are what they are. We've, and if you, people who listen to our podcast, other podcasts, I think we've all pointed out the, the upside of Will Howard. I think we've all pointed out the places where he needs to improve as a quarterback or, or will need to, to find some improvement within this new, um, offense he'll be operating in at Ohio State so naming him the starter is maybe still the easier half of it I think the bigger gamble if you're trying to project an opening day too deep is whether you think Devin Brown is still here at that point and we talked about this earlier this week so we don't have to rehash the whole conversation today because we talked about it in 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 response to Julian Sayan's commitment but or, or transfer I should say and I still think he would be here I'm still leaning on the idea that he would see the upside in being the backup at Ohio State for the for this particular team and specifically like a team that is so loaded in so many ways come here be the true backup for a full year keep developing and then you still have 2 years left to play after this year if you and Ohio State both decide to move on. I still think there is I don't think that's a 100% likelihood I still think there is a likelihood that that happens. So, Andrew, that's the conversation, because obviously, if nobody leaves this room, you would just assume that the next oldest guy in the room and really the oldest guy in Ohio State's room in general would probably be your QB2 in those situations. So that's the, the question I have for you is, do you think Devin Brown is still going to be here? Man, I, I would say I would lean no. I think Devin Brown would probably be more likely to be gone than a Lincoln Keenholtz. 
because Brown is just a year further along. And, you know, you can talk about, you know, burning the boats and you can talk about, you know, kind of all of the everything that has come with that. And and that's all well and good. But you've also got to look at it from a practical sense. Do you think you can win the job as a player at Ohio State? Yeah, every single guy thinks that, right? But Will Howard is also, you know, not written in pen, not written in ink, not uh, not set in stone. But Will Howard kind of has the inside track. It's written in pencil that he's going to be the starter in 2024, and. That would be your third year in the program where you didn't start, and that would be the second time in a row that you've lost a job. And oh, by the way, you've got two now five-star players, including the number one quarterback in the 2024 class, um, that that just joined the boat, that just came on the on the ship with Ohio State. So, for me, I, I just I think personally, you you look at that situation and kind of see a you kind of see the writing on the wall in terms of the the amount of time that he has spent here and the amount of time he has left in college football, and you want to maximize that. And, and I think that that just makes him more likely to leave than it does the Keenholz because with Devin Brown, you know, yeah, I get the appeal of being kind of one snap away from being the quarterback at Ohio State and, you know, hey, maybe if Will Howard struggles, you could be next in line or, or whatever. I understand that. But you also have to kind of look at it from a scenario of, do I really want to spend another season kind of waiting for waiting for my turn, especially if my turn might not even come next year? So, yeah, I, I think he's the most likely to leave. And I, I would say that I would I would not be surprised either way, but I, I would kind of think that that would be the decision that, that we're going to come to at the end of the spring practice. I, I, yeah, I don't dispute that thinking. Um, I think some of this will be timing and circumstance too. Mm-hmm. How close does Devin Brown make this competition this spring, depending on how much he's able to participate at the start of the spring, and where does that feel? Where does how close does he feel like it is at that point? And then on top of that, what is the opportunity he's transferring into? Right. Are there is there some Power Five program where he knows he would be transferring in? to start with only a summer and preseason with that program is if that's not true, if he doesn't have that, if there's not an obvious thing out there, and I think you have to be, you'd be looking at not a place that is like desperate for a quarterback, right? You'd be looking at a place that is guaranteed of some level of success. Um, then I, I think the pull would still be strong to stay. I think the pull from Ohio State standpoint in that circumstance, again, if he's, if he's the clear number two, would be to try to keep him here. So there's a lot of things at play there. I just think it's, it's not as easy as, well, I want to go play um, because you're talking about a spring transfer as opposed to a winter transfer, and the dynamic does change a little bit there. Yeah, is it worth it to go to uh, Kansas State? Or, you know, just trade places with Will Howard or go to Iowa State and or Houston or like a Big 12 school or an ACC school or something like that and say, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll try and get you to compete. You know, we'll, 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 we'll put you in a room where you can compete for a starting job. Why, like, how is that better than the Ohio State job where you might not have as good of a chance to win the job, but you're still competing for the job? You know, to me, if I'm Devin Brown, I'm going to a place where it's, yeah, Devin Brown's a starting quarterback. Like he he's the guy who he he's going to be the Will Howard of whatever situation. And that that would have to be the situation for 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 me if I were if I were Devin Brown that I would have to be going into. For the record, this is a total 180 to how Andrew was talking about this exact conversation on the Tuesday pod. He was very much firmly on the other side of that. So, listen, man, Stevens always right. I am 35% he's going to be gone. And the only reason I'm so high still that he's going to stay here is because some of this is just person by person basis, Yep, I think. And Devin Brown talks like a dude who doesn't give a you know what about how long it takes, about who's in the room with him. He's going to stick it like the burn the boats thing is, is not just him being a character on Twitter. That's actually who he is away from the mics, away from the cameras as well. And so because I know that, 
because I've had this exact conversation with him away from all that, where it was just like, let's just chatting, having a conversation. And let's talking about how crazy all this is, how all this transfer stuff. I'll, I'm open to the idea of him being willing to stick it out longer than someone who showed up with his recruiting pedigree would typically be willing to show to stick stick around because it was the same thing Nathan with Kyle McCord where I think it's fair to assume that a five-star quarterback who isn't a starter by year two or at least in a situation where he can battle for the job in year two isn't sticking around in college football anymore I mean USC's going through it right now with a five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson so it's the fact that he has decided to do that Kyle McCord did that is a that's more about him than it is about like the reality of the Ohio state quarterback room and being number two and being one step away from playing. I think that's just Kyle McCord's personality. Just like I think it's Devin Brown's personality to be okay. If he sticks around in year three as the number two quarterback, but 35% because we don't know what's going to open up in other people's room, but we also don't know what other kids care about. Kyle McCord's at Syracuse right now. And does anybody think Syracuse is going to be in the college football playoff conversation next year? No, they're not. Now, we can run this back a year from now if Syracuse gets into the college football playoff and all the Syracuse fans can be on my DMs going, ha-ha, you were wrong. But that's not the expectation for Syracuse. So that doesn't – so I'm not going to apply that same logic to Devin Brown that just because you're in Ohio State's quarterback room, you need to go find the best possible place that has you in an opportunity to be able to win at a high level but also have the job from day one. It genuinely might just be I want to go get on the field somewhere. I'm a quarterback. The quicker I get on the field, the better it is for me to get to the NFL and potentially have a chance to have a career at this. So 35% he's out the door, 65% he stays. I hope that's the math is the right way. But I am open to the fact that that number might raise depending on how this all shapes out. We'll do the other backfield part of this, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll do the two other weapons, and then we'll split it up and do the offensive line last because I think that's probably where the most discussion is. Quinshawn Judkins, Travion Henderson was an or for Nathan. And then Dallin Hayden was just the number two. I think that's right. But I think the more interesting conversation I want to have with both of you, Nathan, is who takes the first nap of the game, period. I, I said that's Trevion Henderson. I, I, and I mm-hmm. think I even said that in the road up, that right up. That mm-hmm. it, it's it's going to be Henderson that takes the first snap for this team. He's earned that. He's been yep. here that long. And so I think if, if there's only one tailback on the field to start the game, it's Trevion. Now, what's what's more interesting really is then when does when what happens next? You know, you, you see, you would assume that that Henderson goes in and runs the first series, and but then when does Judkins come in? How soon do they start switching people around and and mixing things up? Is it simply a rotation? Is it based on the hot hand theory? Is it a matchup based thing? Is it a situational thing? But the whole upside here is that these two guys two star running backs now get to like share this load and help each other get through a full what Ohio State hopes is a 16 17 game season and you how do you imagine this might work between Travion and Quinchon Judkins in a world where quite frankly you do have two starting running backs it's just one has to actually start the game yeah, I think this is going to be an ELE, everybody hold hands and sing songs type of running back room, I think, for the majority of their games. I think with Trayvon Henderson, he's the guy that you rely on. He's the guy that you say, all right, 24-24 against Oregon with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. He's the guy that is going out there when we have the ball. He's the number one. He's the guy who has that edge. But Quinchon Judkins is also going to see a lot of time. And Dallin Hayden is also going to see a lot of time, I think, because Dallin Hayden is the third guy in that room. And Ohio State's going to play three guys because that's what the score should indicate for a lot of the games that you're going to play. You know, is there a reason to, you know, you know, maybe it's for rhythm's sake, you know, maybe you want to get Travion and, and Quinshawn and you want to get them kind of in the flow of things. You want to get them, you know, kind of feeling out the rotation and what it's going to be like. Is there a reason that Quinshawn Judkins and Travion Henderson t- should touch the ball a total of 30 times against Marshall? Probably not. You know, keep them rested, keep them on the sidelines. That can be a Dallin Hayden and James Peoples game if you want it to be. 
you know, there, there's, there's options for you there. And I think you're going to see a lot of, of frankly, all three of these guys, Henderson and Judkins and kind of big time moments and especially early in games. And then when it, you know, when it gets down to the second half against some of these programs in Ohio state should be beating pretty significantly, then it's Dallin Hayden time. And I mean, we talked about the red shirt. You, you use the, you have the red shirt for a reason. And I just think that, um, I, I just look at this situation with, with the running backs and I kind of see a, a room that you should try to use these guys as much as possible because, again, Nathan mentioned the 16 or 17 game season. It's going to be a grind and it's going to be a long, long season. And you want to make sure that these guys get to the end of the finish line as healthy as possible. I think there's one game on the schedule this year, maybe two, depending on how you view about Penn State. But I'm kind of I'm losing respect. I'm not losing respect for Penn State. I'm not worried about Penn State because they haven't shown me they can actually win this game under James Franklin. And so they're, I've almost put them in the category of Miami. They're better than Miami, but that category of like teams where it's like they're good until they actually have to play a good football team and then they're not good anymore. So fake good. Oregon is the game to watch in terms of the distribution of carries for Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins because that's going to tell us everything we need to know about how they're going to use these two in actual playoff games. Because all the games outside of that, for starters, Travion Henderson's health is not a problem, but it is a fact that he has yet to have a a season since 2021 where he's played in every single game. So you almost have to bake in the idea that something might happen where he misses a game or maybe two games. And so that alone, I think, is going to keep their carries close. If, say, one game Travion Henderson has like 24 carries and Quinshawn Judkins only has nine, but then the next game Travion Henderson isn't playing, but then Quinshawn Judkins has like 20 carries in that game because now it's kind of his backfield and his backfield alone while you sprinkle in just a little bit of Dallas Hayden. I think this is just going to work out because of health. And them trying to get those two through the season where you don't want to push it. So if it's anything, even if it's small, just like we saw this past year with the rib situation with Travion Henderson, he probably could have played in some of those games. But if you don't want to push it, you don't have to push it because you've got Quinshawn Judkins on your team now. And then Nathan with Dallin hated. I don't know, man. We'll see. Let's just see what happens with that one first, because we spent a lot of time last offseason talking about how he potentially could have had a role this year just for it to fall flat on his face. Well, a couple of things. I, I'm not sure that Oregon will tell us everything we need to know, because I think there is an opportunity here where this becomes where it depends on the opponent, like who you ride more, who you how you mm. use these guys. You know, there will be opponents that, that Trevor Henderson is better suited to attack because of what you can get him out in space and do. There's maybe other opponents where you know it's going to be a little bit more of a slog or the conditions that day or whatever. Not that Trevor Henderson, I actually think he's an underrated runner between the tackles. But then if, if you a guy that you want to just like lean on for 30 carries one day for some reason, that's more a Judkins game. So I think there's some of that that's, that's potentially a play. The, the Dallin Hayden thing, too, like on one hand, you feel bad for him because there was a scenario coming out of the regular season where you're looking at, well, either Trevin Henderson comes back and Dallin Hayden is like the clear number two mm-hmm. or Trevin Henderson leaves and maybe Dallin Hayden's the guy. And you think they're going to have to add someone through the portal, but you're not really thinking it's Quinshawn Judkins at that point. Judkins wasn't in the portal until pretty late in the process. So you're thinking like, okay, maybe they can go find another, you know, find another chip train them, find somebody else like that who can be productive help in the backfield. And then now Hayden's just back to where he was last year, which is like hoping to be, you know, well, he's in a better position last year because they're not going to try to redshirt him again because they can't. So at least he'll get to like run in every game if they need him. But yeah. I don't think we should – we can't dispute the importance of that number three back spot too much because you have to have a number two. Like your number two guy is still going to play some in a real way in a, it, with the first string offense, right? You're going to have to cycle somebody in. You know, Master T got cycled in some in 2019, even though J.K. Dobbins was running for 2,000 yards. Most of his production came in the second half. But once in a while, you'd have to like mix him in just to give that guy a break. I think that's all – true and even though these two guys these two number ones these 1a 1b are going to try to keep each other healthy there may be a point where you have to elevate Hayden up to a more prominent role so having him at number three 
Uh, you know, we thought last year was like the deepest running back room in the country for Ohio State. And this year, it's maybe not as deep all the way to five in like what we think are like proven contributions from guys. But mm. the top of this, like one through three, there's not any teams, I think, that can compete with that. For Hayden, it's still just because of the way he's been used these last two years. It's still almost a projection because we haven't seen him have to do it in the in the first half of games very much against you know first string defenses. But we've seen enough to know that we think that he can hang in that situation. So I'm I still think it's important that they keep him, and that he's another guy that if it's coming out of the spring, if if he's not satisfied in the in the present climate. And there's a team that absolutely, maybe they've had an injury. Now they absolutely need a lead back. He would be uh, probably smart to look at that situation. So Ohio State, the, 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 the way that they've built this roster in the last few weeks, that's going to still be, I think, in play on this offense at a couple positions in the spring where they're going to have to um, be smart about uh, trying to keep some important depth guys around. Dallin Hayden is the only running back on this roster who has played in a playoff game. Which is crazy to think about, but it is true. Any any consideration from either of you guys for James Peoples to potentially come in here and throw the things off and potentially move up in the hierarchy higher than four as a top 100 running back out of Texas? No. No, 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 no. Uh, Trevin Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins are the best kind of one-two punch. I think we've kind of settled on that. I think we all kind of agree on that in college football. So he's not getting to one or two. I mean, unless this is just like the second coming of Bijan Robinson and he's Bijan Robinson immediately. Like he has to be that, right? Like, I mean, Trevin Henderson and Quinjon Judkins are very good. So then it's basically, can you usurp Dallin Hayden? And I don't think so because Dallin Hayden will be in his third year with the program. Um, you know, there are things that come with, you know, that Dallin Hayden was still struggling with. You know, I know James Peoples is a top 100 running back, um, but it does take a while to kind of learn some some various things. I think if you kind of read between the lines of what Ryan Day was saying about Dallin Hayden, there were some pass protection issues that, you know, maybe Ohio State didn't trust him in all the time. You know, they, uh, you know, they were worried about kind of having him on the field in certain situations like that. And it's there, there's just there's a lot that goes into playing running back that you got to pick up that a third year guy will probably and certainly have you beat on just in kind of the way the position is played. So I I think people's just kind of settles in as a four and, you know, he plays the role of the second back to come in the game when it's 54 to nothing against Akron in the fourth quarter. You know, that's the kind of role that I see him playing. Because there seems to have been some, I don't know what other word to use, but like ambivalence by the coaching staff towards, using Hayden more it does make me wonder if, if people's could come in and, and impress to that level, but it should be Hayden's spot to lose. I think at this point. Yeah. James people's also played in Texas where they throw the ball 70 million times a game, the way the game should be. So I, I mean, he just might be better at pass pro from day one. Cause he's just had to do it a lot more often than what Dallin Hayden was doing in Tennessee. And that's, it's just where you grow up, man. It's where you grow up. Just different styles of football. So maybe I'm just saying I, I'm not going to close the door on anything with some of these freshmen. But we're going to take a break there, and then we're going to get into the position where there is a freshman we are 100% expecting to play. In fact, if only one freshman plays, we think it's going to be this guy, and we'll get into who that is, even though I'm pretty sure all of you can guess who it is when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ohio State's wide receiver room lost the Belintnikoff Award winner, the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year winner, a two-time unanimous All-American Heisman Trophy finalist, potentially the first non-quarterback taken off the board in the 2024 NFL Draft. His name is Marvin Harrison Jr., and he is gone and so is Julian Fleming as he has transferred to Penn State. And Xavier Johnson is also off to the NFL draft after graduating. So that's three of your top four from last year who are off the roster now with the only returnee being Emeka Buka, who at least we came into the season expecting to potentially leave after this year as a first-round draft pick. But then injuries derailed a lot of his season. So he's back for year four. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Barrett. And that's Andrew Gillis. And now we're talking wide receivers, which I think is a little bit interesting. Nathan, I want you to just make your case for this was your this was your your two deep. Carnell Tate at X, Jeremiah Smith as his backup, Jaden Ballard at Z, with Kojo Antwi and Keon Grays as their backups. You had an or on those two guys, which I'm pretty sure you were just trying to figure out where to put those two guys, which I, I understand. Ameka Buka, your starting slot, and Brandon Ennis was his backup. So those are your seven in those spots. Just kind of make your case for why you went that route with those. But then of those seven, how many of those seven are you actually expecting to get meaningful snaps in 2024? Yeah, so the backup Z is like the least important part because I just don't know who you put there. You can't put Mylon Graham there yet. He's only getting here in the summer, I think. Right. And so I'm giving those guys a shot to prove themselves and win a spot here. Um, I guess you could put Bryson Rogers. I don't think he's that kind of a receiver, though, and I, I don't think he fits there. So yeah. now it's a matter of, I guess, you could talk about, you know, um, do they move Abuka around and not have him as a primary slot guy? Do you just start Brandon Ennis there? I mean, there, there are just a lot of options. I think there are, like, no wrong answers for how you want to guess for this receiver group to, to look right now, frankly. And I leaned on that starting – alignment because that's the last starting alignment we saw in the Cotton Bowl and I think there's obviously the chance that Jeremiah Smith comes in and just upends that whole thing and, and has mm-hmm. to start from day one and if, if that's true then they'll have to figure out the, the X and the Z in this of all of that but I think that it's, it's going to be those top five and then you really have to fight to prove that a sixth guy deserves to play probably and it's going to be tough maybe even to get all five of those guys very equal shares. And they, because on one hand, that just has not been the heartline philosophy. And mm-hmm. part of that has been circumstance. You always have, it seems like, really established guys or guys who, even though they aren't yet established, very quickly hit that place. Like in 2022 with Harrison and, and Ibuka, right? Just kind of, oh, okay, no, these guys are, are it now. Um, though it took an injury to make that happen to the extent that it did. On the other hand, this seems like the most rotation-worthy group of receivers they've had since 2019. In 2019, you had, you know, basically K.J. Hill was just the slot guy, and then you had Olave, Victor, Mack, and Wilson rotating through those other four spots, and everybody kind of got their share of it. And I could see that sort of dynamic working again, except it wouldn't be um, you. I think it works the best if you then just make Abuka the centerpiece guy uh, who's out there all times. He wouldn't be limited to just the slot the way KJ Hill is. So I kind of see maybe you could do reverse Marvin Harrison Jr., where he is primarily a slot guy, but then you move him around because you're trying to get other guys onto the field. You want to get Brandon Ennis into the game, so now Abuka is your Z. I mean, he's got the speed mm-hmm. to to be interesting in that spot i think um it, it's all a matter of how heartline sees the respective talents that these guys have he i think in his heart of hearts has been for a while aiming for a place where you can just have three receivers and they're all kind of equally able to do all of these things and 
some of that looks sounds great in theory and doesn't necessarily always translate to the field. This is the closest it's come to, I think, translating onto the field to where you might try some things like that, where um, especially early in the season, right? They're going to have advantageous matchups early in the season. But one caveat is, I feel like there's always a point during every podcast where we say, the one caveat is, uh, we have seen the last couple of years where the idea of like blocking by the receivers is not just a coach speak thing. Like it shows up on the field. It definitely did in 2022. They were not good enough blocking on the perimeter in, in 2022. They need to be better there. And they're losing the guy who's best at it in Fleming who transferred out, obviously. So mm-hmm. how these young guys, are they ready for that physical part of this game? Is Jeremiah Smith come in this spring and by August 31st, is he ready to go out and, and, you know, body up, you know, safeties and big corners and stuff like that in a blocking way, because running the ball is going to be a big part of this offense. I think that I think any year since 2019, probably, I think I was going to bring that up. 2019 is the perfect example of that. The the snap counts for those five guys that year. And this is also with Austin Mack missed some games. So his snap counts a little behind those other guys. So take that in the consideration here, but KJ Hill, 542 snaps in 12 games. That's 45.2 snaps per game. Chris Olave was second, 428 snaps per ge- snaps that year in 12 games. That's 35.7 snaps per game. Benjamin Victor was next up, 418 snaps in 12 games. That's 34.9 snaps per game. And then Garrett Wilson, 379 snaps in 12 games. That's 31.6 snaps per game. And Austin Mack, as I mentioned, missed three regular season games that year, 297 snaps in nine games. That's 33 snaps per game. So to your point, Nathan, KJ Hill just doesn't come off the field and those outside guys are rotating. Emeka Buka is just KJ Hill, but he's better. He's a better he's a better football player than KJ Hill was. That's not a yes, crazy yes. thing to say. But to yes. your point, he doesn't have to stay in the slot. And I'm wondering with that situation is who else is on the field with him depends on where they put him. Because I think he's been their most versatile guy just since he got here in terms of spots you can play him at. So if he's at Z, I think Brandon Ennis is on the field. If he's at X, is this guy on the field? Is he's at slot or these two guys on the field? I think that's going to matter so much more. But I also think that to your blocking point, Garrett Wilson sucked as a blocker at times at, at Ohio State. I it, Especially that freshman year, it was bad. But he was so good as a receiver that it didn't matter. And that's what I'm wondering with Jeremiah Smith. Because I, when I look at this room, I think that everybody it's the 2019 room but in every single spot the guy is either better or equal i think carnell tate can be equal to what chris olave year two carnell tate can be equal to what chris olave was in year two i think brandon ennis can be better than what austin mack was even if austin mack was in year five and brandon Ennis is in year two i think Jalen Jaden ballard can be better than what brent what benjamin victor was i think that i think it We'll see because Jaden Ballard hasn't showed us much either. And when they gave him an opportunity in the Cotton Bowl, he didn't come down with a catch that, quite frankly, in this room, you need to catch that ball. That's just the standard they have. And then Jeremiah Smith is just a better high, high school prospect than what Garrett Wilson was. So you're just expecting him to be to have a higher ceiling as a freshman than what Garrett Wilson had. And that's with all due respect to what Garrett did as a freshman. So if they use that logic with Garrett, where it was like this thing that was holding him back because he sucked at it, but he got to the point where he at least didn't suck at it so you could exploit and use the thing that he's actually good at. He got on the field, and then you threw a gold ball to him against Clemson. It's one of the best catches I've seen, at least since I've been covering this team. And I'm wondering with Jeremiah Smith if it's going to be a bit of the same thing, where it's like, all right, he's not a great blocker, but he's so good at catching the ball, so good at getting open. He's so good at literally everything else that you can at least overlook it, Andrew. Yeah, well, and there are kind of things you can do in that regard, you know, maybe that don't operate as a tell. You know, you can run away from him. You know, you you don't line him up in the slot where he's closer to the ball. Like there's, there's things that you can do where, you know, y- you can figure it out where, you know, hey, if Jeremiah is in the game, we're going to run you know, these plays running the ball just to protect him a little bit and kind of protect ourselves. And, and I think that that could be an option as well. The the Jeremiah Smith point to me, this is the most interesting player 
and in the receiving core for a lot of reasons, but because I think what he is in the next couple of weeks and months is going to decide how Ohio State's receiver room looks. Because this is a dude who, when when people talk about him, you, you kind of think that he's just going to show up around the door with a cape on type of stuff, right? Like people talk about this man like he's Superman. Like Ian Moore did a video at the All-American Bowl and somebody asked him about Jeremiah Smith and he had the same reaction that, you know, like I talked to Tavian Sinclair a few days ago and Ian Moore did this and every other player you do, even Mylon Graham, when we went and talked to him, Stephen, uh, earlier in the year, everybody does the same thing where they go, Oh my God. And their eyes get really big and they kind of like take a deep breath and they're like, that dude's crazy. Like that dude's something else. That's what we're talking about here. So if Jeremiah Smith can get to a level where he's just that good and he is already just, and you know, a, a big 10 level receiver, then I think it's pretty clear that you, you can just go with your three receivers of, of Tate Ekbuka and Smith, and then you know Innis is probably the four, and then you're talking about Ballard and is kind of right there as well as kind of some depth options. But if if Jeremiah Smith is a guy that you think he is and you think he can be, then I think that this kind of just solidifies the receiving trio that should start the year and that can play early on. So I, I think that whatever Smith is, kind of as a player. And, you know, and that includes blocking that includes, you know, every, that includes knowing the offense. It's not easy to go from high school to college and kind of pick up an offense that expects to compete in a national championship level. So yeah, I look at, I look at Jeremiah Smith as kind of the linchpin to all of this and and kind of what the future could be, because if he doesn't start, if he's not going to be ready to start early on, you know, then, all right, do you put Brandon Innes in the slot? Do you want Ballard to start? There's, there's options there. But if Jeremiah Smith is as good as everybody thinks he is and can be, then, I mean, there's your three. You, you have the three pretty much set in stone. I don't agree with that. I don't think okay. he's the linchpin or any of that. I think he's a very good football player, and I think he is going to end up being – if I would have projected this, I would have had Jeremiah Smith, Carnell Tate, and Mecca Buka as my starters. I understand why Nathan didn't want to go there yet, and it's perfectly fine that you wanted to go with a guy who's in year four who was a former top 100 recruit who you're like, okay, this is kind of it, Jaden. It's either going to happen now or it's not going to happen at Ohio State. I get that. That's not a, the wrong decision. I just I think Jeremiah is that good that he can come in here and start. If it doesn't happen, I don't think that Ohio State's ceiling as a wide receiver room drops. I don't think it, I don't it, think it does. changes much. It, it's just, okay, a true freshman didn't come here and start in arguably the best room in the country. I th- in fact, if he doesn't start, that's just as good for Ohio State as it is if he does start. Because if he's not a starter, that means that either Brandon Ennis forced his way out onto the field and Emeka Ibuka is just outside, or Jaden Ballard really took a step this offseason in a way that was like, okay, he's ready to play. So either, I, regardless of what the mixture is, I think the ceiling for the wide receiver room is still high. Nathan, I do. the only thing I'm wondering is, because there's a chance that you can get this rotation to five, I don't know if anybody gets a thousand yards this season <laughs> just because of that. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely on the table. I don't think it matters because I don't think it would be a reflection of of poor passing game production. I think yeah. it would be a, a, a reflection of the talent in the room. It would be a positive thing potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, this is all trying to project basically the first snap on August 31st against Akron. Right. If you were to tell me that that is the lineup that is out there, those three starters, but that Jeremiah Smith plays the third most snaps or even second most snaps behind a mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fine. Cause I think that might also be in play as well. And that's actually even a tough game to, cause they're going to, all goes He's going to play more than <laughs> All goes according to the plan. Emeka Buka doesn't have to play very much that day. Nor yeah. does the starting quarterback, nor does either of the two starting running backs, right? Like that's more of a um, – it's, it's like a second spring game, and then you uh, get on with the rest of the season. <laughs> sorry, sorry, uh, all, all the zips out there. So it's coming, and it's just a matter of how quickly it comes. And I think what we have to remember is as good as Garrett Wilson was in 2019 – 
the room as a whole was not as good. So he didn't have to push through first-round draft picks to get on the field in the, oh, the yeah. first game as a freshman. He had to push through guys who got an NFL taste, and Austin Max getting another one, and Benjamin Victor's had his. These are guys who were really good football players and, and have, have helped make a living with it after leaving Ohio State. But mm-hmm. it wasn't what was coming in that room. It wasn't the number 10 pick, the number 11 pick, the number 20 pick, and whatever Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a couple months from now. Like, it wasn't that. It wasn't stacked up like that. And what Emeka Buka is going to be. So don't freak out. Like if it, if it doesn't show up, if he doesn't, if he isn't in the starting lineup on day one, I don't think it's a matter of Ohio State like burying a guy because I don't think they're going to do that. I think as soon as Jeremiah Smith shows that he is the one who deserves the most snaps, he'll get the most snaps. But it is a holistic thing. It is how it works in with the whole defense. I don't think that's lip service. I think that is uh, – we've seen too many instances where it wasn't working. Things like the, the 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 bubble screens and stuff, like that's a part of this offense. It's not going yeah. away. Bill O'Brien's not going to come in and say, like, I don't want to – like, that's what Ryan Day wants to run. That will be a part of this offense. You've got to have good perimeter blocking to maximize what those plays are supposed to be. One of the reasons those plays weren't working these past couple years was because – I mean, go back to that Penn State game a couple years ago. The blocking outside was pretty terrible at times. They were getting beaten up by some other Big Ten teams out there. So that is a place where they're going to have to show some competency, at least, to deserve a lot of snaps. I think that Jeremiah Smith might just be a good enough all-around football player that that happens. I'm pretty sure it's true of Carnell Tate. Just from I've been doing some interviews about Carnell recently, and things like attention to detail, how much he just loves the game of football, how much he's willing to get out there and be physical, lead by example on the field. Like he seems like the kind of guy who will embrace that opportunity. To the point with the Garrett Wilson conversation, there were also not a lot of second-year guys who were pushing for playing time, right? Because that 2018 class just didn't necessarily live up to par. Jalen Gill, as a top 30 recruit, didn't get on the field. Cameron Babb was starting to deal with some injuries that he had started as his senior year of high school. And so because Chris Olave was the only second-year guy, you had to go to the next wave, which was two freshmen. It's the same thing here. It's You've got at least two got second year guys that you're expecting to be in this rotation. If Noah Rogers had stayed and not gone home to North Carolina state, then maybe you'd be three. So that's a different conversation. I think to the Carnell Tate point, and then we can wrap this up here. The day after Carnell Tate committed to Ohio state, he popped up in Columbus. In fact, it was the same day that Dylan Rayola was in Columbus when back when he was still committed to Ohio state to come throw in front of Ryan day. Uh, Carnell Tate showed up for a camp in June and he was working with Brian Hartline. They worked for like 20, 30 minutes. It wasn't that long. But I was walking with Hartline and just having a a very short conversation with him. But he was like, this is exactly what Marvin Harrison Jr. looked like at that age. I was like, and that was at that point when, Nathan, I'm starting to already ramp up my, like, bus for Marvin Harrison. Because it's that year that Marvin Harrison does what he does in 2022. So I'm already starting to ramp that bus up in my head. But he goes, yeah, this is exactly what Marvin Harrison Jr. looked like. And I'm like, oh. So that's what we're talking about here. And then obviously a year later, Marvin Harrison Jr. says what he says. Same dude asking the questions about it of, yeah. hey, Carnell Tate's pretty good, huh? And it's like, yeah, he's where I was last year. It's like, dude, you were a sophomore about to be a first-team All-American. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So I'm I'm with you. I'm on alert for a, Carn- a world where this could be a five-man rotation, but this could also very easily be Carnell Tate's good enough that he doesn't come off the field. Emeka Buka probably already is not coming off the field. And then it comes down to like Brandon Ennis and Jeremiah Smith. Are they both good enough to co- You can't take them off the field. And be- both of those guys as five-star recruits can do it. So it- it's going to be an interesting to see how Brian Hartline does this. Cause this is really the first time where he's had a situation where he could genuinely rotate when he wants to. But the last four years have also told us that he doesn't rotate it. Just because he need he doesn't rotate just for the sake of rotating. He rotates out of strength and not just because it's the thing to do. So it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Let's flip the tight end, where I also had some disagreements. But I get it. Once again, you had Will Kazmarek, the Ohio transfer, as a starter. And then you had G. Scott as the number two. Why no Jelani Thurman between one and number two? Is that how I put it? Yeah, it is. I thought, because what it really should be is Kazmarek and Scott are kind of like an yeah, or yeah, yeah, to yeah. me. It's a, sorry, sorry. Yeah, and yeah, sorry. Because it's Will Kazmarek and G. Scott as an or, and then Jelani Thurman's the backup. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because I think the opening snap of next season could be a double tight end formation. Like, 
Like we've seen them come out and double tight a yeah. lot. And when they do, I think those are the two that would be the first two. Uh, until I see with them give that, until I see them put, I think, a, another level of, what I want to say, confidence in Jelani Thurman to use him in that way. Now, they did in the Cotton Bowl. He was out there early in the Cotton Bowl, but he wasn't out there a lot in the Cotton Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. He was out there early, and then it was like, oh, where, where did Jelani go? So was that a – and Kate Stover had sort of predicted, hey, I think you're going to see like a lot of him in the Cotton Bowl. And then, again, you saw him early, and then it was kind of – became a little bit forgotten. Although the way that that night was going, they needed the best possible blockers on the field, uh, not worrying about uh, anything that might have trended towards something a little bit more gimmicky or, or whatever. Uh, not that he is that. I mean, he's obviously a legitimate football player, legitimate tight end. I just think that based on track record, this is what it would be to start the season. I am absolutely open to the Jelani Thurman thing unveiling itself at some point this season. I don't think that's happened yet. And as I'm picking this in January, I think you lean towards the veterans because I don't think they're bringing Cats American. Like everything we've heard, the guy, I mean, you can just look at his track record. I know it was the Mac. No offense. I know it was the Mac, but it was still, he has a, he has a very strong blocking reputation and has caught a decent number of balls the last couple of years. And I thought G Scott came along last year. I think G Scott proved some things. I thought he turned a corner last year in terms of his reliability. So you're assuming another year of progression, another physical year of progression for him, Kasmerik, as long as he comes in and um, and makes the the transition to the Big Ten. My assumption is opening day, those are the, still the two guys. If they open in double tight, I think those are the two guys. Andrew, do you agree with that assessment from Nathan Berry? Yeah, mostly. Um, this was probably the hardest position for me on the offensive side of the ball that we've there that we have talked about and will talk about. For me to to get my Irish up over, you know, to get uh, to get any kind of debate going about it, what does because Notre I, Dame have to do with this. Wow, um, <laughs> I I just look at this as like a little bit like the linebackers. Like we had the linebacker conversation, and we were like, it's just going to depend. And well, do you play CJ Hicks? Do you play Cody Simon? And then do, where does Sonny Styles go? Do you play Styles and Hicks? Do you play Styles and Simon? Like we just does Hancock play the slot? Does, like we we talked about so many different things, and I think this is just it. It's kind of the same conversation, just reframed at tight end. You know, or hey, does Will Kaczmarek have to play because you don't trust your tackles to block whoever the defensive ends are that week, and you need a chip? Okay, there you go. That's fine. Okay, do you need to do you need a more receiving kind of threat? Do you need a guy that can maybe stretch the seam a little bit more? Okay, well then there's Jelani Thurman. And okay, well do you want maybe a little more veteran guy to start the year? Okay, well there's G Scott. Like there's there's just a mix of options here at tight end for the Buckeyes that you look at and I think that they all kind of bring a differing skill set. And that I think is what makes this room kind of versatile. And I, I look at this room as, you know, Hey, look, if you got to spread it out and beat some teams, I don't know if Will Kaczmarek's going to be on the field. I don't know if he's going to see a lot of time. If it's whoever you play, if you, if you got to score 38, I I don't know how much you want to play him, especially if the offensive line is holding up. If you want to run the ball, like if you're like, you know what, we're just going to beat this team to sleep. Trevion Henderson is going to touch the ball 20 times and Quinchon Junkins is going to touch the ball 18 times. And we're just going to run the ball down this team's throat. Yeah, then Will Kaczmarek's probably playing a lot. I, I just think so much of who plays at tight end is going to be dependent on the game plan that for me, I, I just kind of look at this as a rotating door. I think that you could have a new starter every couple of weeks just depending on what the game plan is. So in that regard, I, I think it's pretty similar to linebacker that, you know, I just think it's going to be so dependent from week to week, and it's going to be hard to get kind of a grasp of, hey, this guy's taking the lead, you know, or this guy's taking, you know, this guy's coming out ahead as as the true number one. Like, I mean, if somebody asserts themselves as a true blocking and receiving threat, Ohio State, I'm sure would love that. I just look at these guys as having a couple different things that they do well, and Ohio State's going to have to uh, lean into that. There are very few players who were more impacted by Devin Brown getting hurt as early as he did in that Cotton Bowl than Jelani Thurman because they were going to do things with him. Cade Stover talked like that 
on the days leading up to the game. And then they showed it very early, the stuff that they were willing to do. And then Devin Brown got hurt and it had to change their entire game plan because they probably had to simplify a lot of the stuff that they had been working on for 30 days. So it, it, it sucks because that would have, I think that would have been a moment for us to at least see what it could look like, even if it wasn't going to be the full version of him. I was high on G. Scott this year. I thought he had a pretty decent year. PFF was not, which it is what it is. I just also know there's a ceiling on G. Scott as a tight end. I just, it's just there's a ceiling there, man. It's never. I think what we saw last year was good, but not good enough that somebody can't spend the next months surpassing it. And Will Casimir's going to play. He's the new Will Ferrell in this conversation. He's going. To, he's clearly the inline tight Will end Ferrell. in that pairing. Luke Ferrell. Luke Ferrell. <laughs> Luke Ferrell. I'm sorry, Luke, that I just compared if to Will Ferrell. If he starts showing up for interviews, I hope Will Kachmerick shows up for interviews the way Will Ferrell shows up for, like, talk show interviews, like, dressed as a leprechaun or, like, in a bunch of weird costumes. That should be – he should he should adopt that. That, that would that would be fun. That would, that would be awesome, actually. But I, I think he's clearly the inline blocking tight end in this situation. And I get it. It's a developmental position. But a lot of the development is physical. And Jelani Thurman already looks like he's been developing physically for 19 years of his life. And so if – and he's from Georgia. He's from Georgia. So he's he's not new to football. I almost want to ask Keenan Bailey whenever we get the coaches at the end of the spring, just go, where is Jelani Thurman as a blocker? And if Keenan starts raving about his blocking, but in a real way, not in a Keenan Bailey personality type of way, if that's real to me, then I just think there are two t- – Top tight ends are Jelani Thurman and Will Kazmarek, and G. Scott is just the third tight end just because there's a ceiling with G. Scott. I don't think there's a ceiling with Jelani Thurman with all that you could be able to do with him, and that's not just having him catch the ball. That's just having him out being out there being a threat. I don't, I don't know how far that question will get you because Keenan is pretty measured about stuff, and I think he's I especially measured about Jelani because people are excited. And listen, I think everybody who has to watch Ohio State football or gets to watch Ohio State football is – intrigued by the Jelani Thurman thing. We all want Jelani Thurman to be a dude soon because it just looks like it'll be a lot of fun to watch on a football field. But as you point out, and as I pointed out, he played the first two snaps of the Cotton Bowl and then played zero snaps the rest of the Cotton Bowl, at least on offense. And that that alone just makes me wonder if you've got two proven veterans – who maybe are still farther along in that kind of all-around desire that they have for for their tight ends, then I think they get the first nod. But I think this team becomes more interesting and the offense potentially becomes better if the things that Jelani Thurman is as a football player start to push to the forefront this year and he starts to, with his skills and his habits and everything else, demand to be on the field. So that's tight ends and wide receivers. We're going to take one last break, and then we're going to get into the the problem child of the Ohio State football team and whether or not that problem child can be a better situation for Ohio State in 2024, and that's the offensive line here on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State lost one member of its starting offensive line in 2023. One member, and it was its right guard, Matthew Jones, and yet none of us believe that every single member who returned all other four are guaranteed to be starters in 2024. And except, and in fact, I think at most two might be guaranteed starters already. But even then, we'll see what ends up happening here. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird. And that's Andrew Gillis. Nathan, you're starting five for the offensive line from left to right. Joshua Simmons at left tackle. Donovan Jackson keeps his job at left guard. So that's the same combination as it was a year ago. Seth McLaughlin, the Alabama transfer, who has been their starting center for the last three years, comes over, and now he's Ohio State starting center. At right guard, you've got Tegra Shibola, and you've got Josh Fryer as your right tackle. And then behind those guys, Zen Maholsky as the backup left tackle. Josh Padilla and Austin Sierravel are like are as an oar on the backup left guard spot. Carson Hensman goes from starting center to backup center. Enoch Vamahi is your backup right guard, and Luke Montgomery as your backup right tackle. I just want to I, – I agree with the left side. Unless something crazy happens in the portal in the next six months, I just think Joshua Simmons and, and Donovan Jackson are just going to be the left side of your offensive line. And then Seth McLaughlin, he's coming here to play center, guys. They're not going to put him at guard. He's been a center his entire career. He was Nick Saban's starting center the last two or three years here. He's coming here to play center. I think the right side is where the conversation is. And 
Right now, you still think Josh Fryer is going to be a tackle. Why? I think offensive line is where, when you're making these predictions right now, everything is the most precarious. Mm-hmm. You know, Donovan Jackson at left guard is going to happen. Like he's going to be their third year starter at left guard. I don't see mm-hmm. that's the one I'm like closest to 100 percent about. And McLaughlin, I think, is maybe the thing that I'm closest to next closest to 100 percent about at mm-hmm. center. And then Simmons third. So I think you're right. Like that from center to the left. On the right side, though, I mean that's what I picked. That's what I guessed for opening day. But it's the percentage that that I would put on that is definitely not 100 because I think there's the opportunity where you just flip those two guys. Maybe Shabola is the right tackle and Fryer is at right guard. They move him back inside. Maybe Fryer moves into guard and Luke Montgomery is the right tackle. Maybe Luke Montgomery just beats out Josh Fryer and they like Shabola at right guard. Like I think there's a lot of potential outcomes in those two spots. And there's probably guys that I didn't even just mention who should be in that mix. There were guys whose names came up last year, ostensibly in some of those conversations, such as I guess Sim Mahalski would be the most prominent one, but it really seems like a, probably a, do you see it that way? Like a, a three man fight for two spots right now, unless, unless mm-hmm. you also think Montgomery could force his way in at left tackle. But I think they liked Simmons there long-term. I know it was rough to start last year, but one of the things they liked about him when they got him from San Diego State was that they were getting him early and that he was someone who could grow into that position over three or four years, two or three years, whatever he has left after coming to Ohio State. And that that stinks in the short term, but they Mm -hmm. liked what it could be down the line. And we did see progression there. The whole offensive line, you saw some progressions as a unit. Then you saw it all fall off a cliff in the Cotton Bowl. Both of those things are true. Both those things have to be weighed into this. But he did get better over the course of the year, did become more reliable, did cut down on the the infractions, the, the penalties. I think now it's a matter of that becomes the norm. You, become, you come to expect a clean game from him, and then how are mm-hmm. you asserting yourself? Yeah, I, I think those are probably the three candidates. For the right side, just in general, Luke Montgomery, Tegra Shibola, and Josh Fryer. I, I think Josh Fryer is going to be a guard, but to the point the point of this conversation is those are the three top candidates. I'm wondering about Carson Hensman if because he did start all last year, and some of that was out of you probably didn't have other options, but maybe he's just not best suited to be a center, and maybe he needs to be a guard. And if that's the case and he flashes some things as a guard, does he get into this conversation? And then that next level under that is where I'm putting Josh Padilla and Austin Zierveld as your second-year guys who did early enroll. Maybe they take a step, but I do think this boils down to Tegra Shabola, Luke Montgomery. It felt like in the offseason there was a time when they were pushing, and then it didn't happen. And then Ryan Day and Justin Fry decided we're never going away from what this is because there was probably a clear gap there. Has that gap been closed simply because Luke Montgomery's been in the program for a year? Integra Shabola is now three years older than he in his third heading into his third year. Does that create a situation where your right side is Tegra Shabola, Luke Montgomery, in any order you want to put him in? Or to your point, Nathan, does Luke Montgomery really just become a stud? And you put him at left tackle and you put Josh Simmons back at right tackle, and then you figure out the guard spot between Tegra Shabola and Josh Fryer. Andrew, where are you in this conversation right now? With Ohio State's line, I think the two guys that I look to that you really, really want to take a leap would be Tegra Shibola and Luke Montgomery. Um, Because I think if you can fit Montgomery at a tackle, that would give you some leeway, right? You You can move him around and say, okay, so now Fryer can play guard. Or Simmons can go play right tackle. You know, like if if Montgomery can find a starting job as a tackle in his second year, I think that would be really big for Ohio State. And I think Shibola kind of solidifying a role would be really big too. Because again, you mentioned that, I mean, he's got all the physical tools. It kind of felt like you were, you know, kind of here, like when I showed up, you know, kind of felt like you were kind of hearing from him. And this is his third year in the program. Like, this is this is the time where you know offensive linemen kind of develop into that type of role. You know, it does take a while for offensive linemen to do that. 
you know, it's it's not an easy thing to come in as an offensive lineman and start in your first year or even probably your second year a little bit. And now that you're in your third year, there's there's kind of an expectation there. So I think those are the two guys that can really just help solidify things for Ohio State because Donovan Jackson's going to play. Donovan Jackson's going to – he's your left guard. Hip, hip, hooray. The thing with McLaughlin and Hinsman is – this thing, the thing that would scare me is that I understand everybody watched the Rose Bowl and saw the snapping issues, but like those snapping issues were a thing throughout the year that he has to rectify. And I'm not saying he can't rectify them, but they do have to be rectified. It was a thing when um, when Alabama played Middle Tennessee State. It was a thing when Alabama played Auburn, and it was a thing when they played Michigan in the Rose Bowl. The snaps were an issue, and that can't happen. And if the snaps are an issue, I still think McLaughlin can play guard. Like I think that you can have him. Slide They're not going to put right. him at guard, though. I They're understand, not do that. but he they can do that. Well, at, at, then the snaps have to be can, better. Right. But what he can do and what they're going to do are two very different. And this is a conversation about what they're going to do, not what they they can do. He's going to play center, and I guess he had a bad year last year. He also had mm-hmm. two really good years the two year two years before that when he was playing for. Uh, Bill O'Brien as his offensive coordinator. So I, I get it. he had a bad year, but like they're not going to, he's coming here to play center. So we can't, I, I don't want to have a conversation about something that's not going to happen here because he's the option is him or Carson Hensman, who also was not good what? enough either. And then like whatever happened off the field, the point is he wasn't out there for the Cotton Bowl and it doesn't seem like they're going to put him back out there at center. So like Seth McLaughlin's their option at center. Well, then he better he better figure out how to snap the ball because he couldn't do it. Like there, in the most important moments of the year, that was a problem. Alabama's last play of the year was a bad snap low to Jalen Milrow. Like there's there's an issue with the snaps. It, nobody's disputing that. So if like if that if that is the plan, as you're saying, then that it, that's got to be it. Like then he's got to fix that, or else then as you're saying, he's not going to play. I I only point that out to say like if the snaps aren't an issue, or if Carson Hinsman just kind of excels in his third year. You know, again, Carson Hinsman entering his third year in the program, that's a guy that you would expect to kind of take that leap. One of the things that we discussed with Hinsman for so long, and especially since I got here, was hey, look, Whipler leaving kind of put him in a tough spot. You didn't really think that he was going to leave so early. You thought you could bring Hinsman along a little bit longer or a little bit later. You thought you could kind of slow play that a little bit more than you did. And all of a sudden, you just kind of had to play him because Whipler goes and then you got, you're in trouble. You got no one else. Well, this would be the year that Hinsman was going to take that step, right? Like this was going to be the year if everything had worked out like people kind of thought it would or like people hoped it would that Hinsman would kind of take that step. So I'm curious what he can do because is if Hinsman and like, if Hinsman is an option, you know um, like, you know, Nathan, I think you wrote this too, where it's like Hinsman might contend for a guard spot. Like, I don't think you're in the business of, you know, looking at Ohio state's offensive line and saying, you know, Oh, well we need to keep this guy as a backup, even if he's one of the best five, because the offensive line wasn't good enough for you to do that last year. You've got to put the best five offensive linemen you can on the field. And I, I think that that's probably the interior side of things. So maybe that gets solved with those two guys. And then, you know, Shibola or Shibola's in the mix or Montgomery. There's just, there's so many options here that it feels like a grab bag of just pick a name out of a hat and see where it goes. Because, hey, if, if Luke Montgomery starts at right tackle, here's what this means. If Luke Montgomery starts at left tackle, here's what this means. If Seth McLaughlin doesn't start at center, here's what this means. Like, there's just so much that you can kind of work through on the offensive line, and every move has a cascading effect on what the rest of the line looks like. So I I think that there's just, I mean, there's a billion different options, and that's why I look at guys like Luke Montgomery and Tegra Chabola, because if you can get the development and the push from those guys that you thought that they could be, then you're feeling better about the offensive line. When I lay that out, I didn't throw in it earlier even in this conversation didn't throw Hensman in the mix at guard but that is something that's also I think on the table you're right that you have to find the best five but that kind of only applies if a guy who can play center is definitely one of your best five <laughs> because you can't just take anybody and throw them at center that's the one that is a little bit yeah. right different 
So I don't know if their best five pure offensive linemen last year were the five that they were playing. It's hard to take if you thought, again, I'm going just by usage. You saw last year that they used Montgomery as the sixth offensive lineman in the Bison package. They did that with Shibola also in the Cotton Bowl. That has been, whether it was Josh Fryer, whether it was Donovan Jackson, that has been precursor to those guys having starting roles the next year. And it's just it's, traditionally, it's happened here. It's, it's like in, in, in ink here. That's what's been happening. So I think those guys, if you had had someone else who you trusted at center, but the whole reason that they went and got Vic Cutler from Louisiana Lafayette, or Louisiana Monroe, sorry, <laughs> the first and only time Louisiana Lafayette will probably ever get mentioned on this podcast, uh, unless Ohio State pays them a million dollars to come up and get thumped someday. The only time, the only reason they went and did that is because they were just so bereft of any center option on this roster last year. Just nobody was ready to even be a backup except for Matt Jones, who they felt they had to keep at guard because they didn't have someone else who was ready there. So in retrospect, you may you might look back and say, hey, if you had gotten somebody ready at right guard, but again, I think that goes back to some of the recruiting issues that they've had. The Whatever wasn't there last year, go back two or three years and find where they didn't get somebody in that class that would be ready by then to play. So they're fixing some things on the fly. I think Hensman now, with a year of experience, could challenge at guard if they if that opening is there. We know there's an opening there. But if Fryer moves inside, if they decide early on that Fryer's going to move inside and now they're just finding a right tackle, then I think Hensman is probably a, a backup for the, the next year at least. And I think he's like genuinely the backup center, Nathan, because we've done this yeah. before with the backup centers where it's like, yeah, he's the backup in practice, but if something goes wrong in the game, Matthew Jones is just going to slide over the center. I think this time it's genuinely your backup center is a guy who played 12 games for you. And it's whether he's a starter on the offensive line or not, which is a different place to be in for Ohio State. It is, it's an ever-evolving conversation with the offensive line because I'm still not even – I think the other groups we've talked about over the last two days – I'm very intrigued by the upside of it, and I know that the the floor is still very high. I think with this offensive line, it's still kind of iffy either way. I'm not sure how high the ceiling is going to be, but I'm also not sure what the floor is going to look like, and that might all depend on what the five looks like when they finally take the field against Akron. But that's our projections for Ohio State's 2024 starting offense. That's the first time. We might do this exercise again after the spring, but that's our first early look at it. Nathan took a crack at it. I agreed with some stuff. I disagreed with some stuff. Andrew agreed with some stuff. He disagreed with some stuff. But that's just how we do it here at Buckeye Talk. Get the text, 614-350-3315. News, analysis, anything you want. Two-week free trial, three ninety nine. After that, for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.